Psalm 133.1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Hear the word of the Lord. There's nothing quite as sweet as when God's people relate very well. But isn't it true that our relationships in God's family break up and break down over a million things? That is as sad as it is tragic. Now, at Calvary Baptist Church, the fundamentals of the faith are important to us and are non-negotiable. The essentials preserve the core of the message without the fundamentals of the faith. We have no hope. We have nothing to say to our world. But isn't it true that for 2,000 years the church of Jesus Christ has pondered some things that are less essential than that core fundamentals of the faith? And we begin to separate over these finer distinctions. They say Baptist people. You may have heard this before. It's the story of one guy running into another guy going to end his life by jumping off a bridge. It's entitled Baptist on a Bridge. Once I saw a guy on a bridge about to jump and I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too, what franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lake Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Regional Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over the bridge. <laughs> now, we laugh because of the sadness of division over non-essentials in God's family. Not all finer doctrinal distinctions are fundamental to the faith. How essential is the gospel core? But there are a few non-essentials that have broken up relationships. Leslie Flynn, in his book, Great Church Fights, has this paragraph. Why disagreements exist today in our churches over certain practices? A Christian from the South 
may be repelled by a swimming party for both men and women and then offend his northern brother by lighting up a cigarette. At an international conclave for missionaries, a woman from the Orient could not wear sandals with a clear conscience. A Christian from Western Canada thought it worldly for a Christian acquaintance to wear a wedding ring. And a woman from Europe thought it almost immoral for a wife not to wear a ring that signaled her status. A man from Denmark was pained to even watch British Bible school students play football while the British students shrank from his pipe smoking. Now, before I show you this next picture, I need to tell you, and, and please listen clear through this message. I'm a teetotaler. Uh, I am because I'm weak and never wanted to introduce things that could control me if I would allow them to. I had two grandfathers who were alcoholics, and the carnage that they brought to my family in these generations are still trying to recover from it. I raised three children. I never wanted them to get into a problem with alcohol, so we never had it in the house. But now I have seven grandchildren. I have no interest in introducing them to controlling substances, which would do it. I, I'm a teetotaler, not because the Bible tells me so, but because it is wise and prudent, and it would be my encouragement to you. I was at a conference a few weeks ago, and I heard a message, and I've listened to messages for a long time. And um, it had to be one of the most top five most moving messages and experiences with God as this dear brother brought the word of God. I was walking out and ran into a friend, and he said, Mounts, I wept through most of that message. Could you believe that experience of being there? And it was extraordinary. And so uh, I follow this guy on X or what was Twitter. And this week, this was a tweet. And um, this is a book he was reading. And, of course, was the uh, beverage he was having while he read the book. Now, what am I supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? By the way, there are people who've left Calvary saying, all oh, you guys, you have all, you know, you, you, you're teetotalers. I'm free. And they've gone to churches that celebrate freedom. I mean, there's, there's a church in our area at men's event. You know, they, they roll in the beer truck for, for the event. Um, and I'm just reporting a fact. But I, I, I've known of situations where some would, would go and um, celebrate their freedom. Then they would get drunk and cause problems in their family. And um, whatever that is, it's not godliness. And it's against what the Bible has said about introducing substances that control. I had a friend who, who God used him so powerfully at his church. He just exploded in conversion growth. And uh, I was with him once on a boat, and we we're out on this lake, and I turn around, and I look. He's got a big old stogie he's just lit up. You know, he's blowing smoke rings. And I thought, wow, okay. You know, my dad uh, was in industrial uh, sheet metal fabrication plant, and he was around uh, torches and MIG welding and spot welding and acetylene torches and s sucked fumes down. And he developed uh, non, 
uh, smoker's lung cancer. And I, I watched him cut him from his shoulder blade to his nipple and rip his chest open and take a piece of his lung out. And I thought, why does anyone smoke? That's, why would you want to tear up your health like that? You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, why give the Holy Spirit emphysema? You know, I mean, what, what's that point? You know, he indwells us. Our bodies are his temple. You've watched it with me, people separating over translations. Hey, I got the right translation. You don't get, get the right translation. What's wrong with you? Fashion. Have you noticed differences in modesty standards in God's family? Entertainment, music, the theater, coffee at church, drinking coffee at church, music styles, parenting styles. Did you ever get this one? You know, it's, it's, it's just so fun to raise your kids together in a church family. And it's fun, but it can also be a challenging because no two families have the same standards. And so Johnny goes over to Billy's house and stays all night. And he comes back, and for the rest of your life, you get, but Billy's mom said this. And you have two different standards. We've got to figure out how to, how to get along. And we could, you know, quote Buzz Lightyear, you know, then it's to infinity and beyond of the ways that uh, Satan has used uh, preferences to divide people in God's family. We can laugh at some of these because they're ridiculous, but hear me, it's very important to me that you understand that I'm not saying that the fundamentals of the faith, I mean, we are to earnestly contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That's Jude 4. That's very important. I'm not saying the fundamentals of faith don't matter, but I am saying heaven is not laughing at the crazy divisions over things that disrupt unity. In saying that, I'm emphasizing just how very important these nine verses before us this morning in Romans 14 actually are, and I invite you to turn there with me. Romans 14, 1 through 9, we're going through the book of Romans. This is where we are this morning, hearing from the Lord. On May 1st, 1992, in Los Angeles, all of us were rebuked by a very flawed, broken man, Rodney King who, while Los Angeles was burning down, came to a microphone and said, can't we all get along? It was viewed by some as a stinging rebuke. Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats 
in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstain, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Hear the word of the Lord. This morning, I want to go two different directions. First, I want to look at the central imperative here, which is welcome them in your family, in your church family. Secondly, I want to watch how this passage points forward to a way that's much better than rank division and separation. Number one, we are to welcome each other in God's family. Look at verse one and the rationale behind it in verse three. As for the one who is weak in faith, what do we do with that person? What do we do with the person weak in faith and conviction? We welcome him. Why? Look at the end of verse three. For God has welcomed him. That's God's response, so it is to be ours. Now, two challenges ensue from this one command. Challenge number one, we are to avoid judging and quarreling over other family members' convictions. Our default mode is to judge other people, considering our way is right. If you're not doing it my way, it must be wrong. So our default is... Uh, you're not doing it right, and I am doing it right. Now, there are two lists of convictions that are here in this passage. One relates to diet, and that relates to, remember, the kosher regulation for Jewish people. You have some people here who are what we could call uh, JBBs, Jewish background believers. Why, growing up in Judaism, they ate a kosher diet. So they were careful about what they ate. And you remember commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And there was a particular way that they handled meat in the first century in these pagan cities. They would offer a portion of the sacrifice to God their small g god, their idol. If you were a farmer, you wanted your crops to do well, you'd go to the god of fertility and, hey, here's my calf. So they would kill the calf, cut a piece of meat out, offer it to the idol. Then out the back door was the butchery. And they sold meat at good prices. So if you are a Jewish background believer, a JBB in this church in Rome, and you had... Uh, come across Exodus 21 in your Judaism, you shall have no other gods before. You're thinking, oh my, if I buy that meat, that meat is associated with a sacrifice to an idol, I'm to get rid of all idols, so I, I, what I need to do is not eat meat. And so if I don't eat meat, I won't participate in that idolatry, and I will honor the Lord. Now, there are other people in the church too. Let's call them PBBs, pagan background believers, the Gentiles, they were not eating a kosher diet. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about eternity, but they heard about Jesus. And in hearing about Jesus, 
it opened their heart to believe in him. And in believing in him, they came to have eternal life. They weren't encumbered by a past where they had been taught about idolatry. And to them, that was just, meat is meat. And they, 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 not unlike me, they like, well, marbled porterhouse, and it's sold pretty cheap out the back door of the butchery. So, man, it's like, hey, they'd get it. And so here they would, they take their cart up, get a big slab of nice meat. They're going down, and here comes a JBB, a Jewish background believer. And um, they got a big old slab of, you know, ribs or whatever it is. Hey, how you doing? And uh, immediately the person's offended. Look at him. I can't believe he's eating that. Where his conscience was totally free. Same way with the calendar. Uh, A Jewish background believer would have gone through all the festival days. They get to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Why, having done that for so long, and then they come to follow Jesus, that rhythm in the calendar kind of was kneaded into their spirit. So they would come to that. And think of the sacrifices in the Old Testament that anticipated now that they come to know Jesus, Jesus and his sacrifice. And so they might uh, think about that on the Day of Atonement and observe the Day of Atonement in in some way. And the others were saying, what? Day of Atonement? I don't know anything about the Day of Atonement. That doesn't mean anything to me. You know, I'm, I'm about Jesus who died once and for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And so I I don't have days. I mean, even in our church here, there are various attitudes toward the Sabbath. By the way, when is the Sabbath? There's differing ideas. Well, the Sabbath is Saturday, the last day of the week, the completion of the week. Oh, no, 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 it's it's the first day of the week. That's that's now the Christian Sabbath. I I mean, so first God determined when the Sabbath, but there are different views on the Sabbath. Remember Paul said, you know, I, I don't consider one day distinguished from the other day. And yet you have in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, separate. And there are differing views, differing convictions. We are to avoid judging and quarreling. Did you notice that? But welcome them, but not for the purpose of quarreling. Hey, come in here, join our circle. We'll put you in the witness stand. We'll fry your gizzard because you don't have our convictions, and we'll argue with you until you do. By the way, arguing about this kind of stuff is sport to some. It's just not very charitable. Isn't that fair? And that's what Paul's getting at here. Welcome them, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, remember, quarreling, if you look back up in chapter 13 and verse 13, he's used this word quarreling right next to all those big fleshly words that we're so uh, ostensibly sensitive to. But he adds quarreling and jealousies. How destructive these habits are to how people relate. And what we do, uh, we end up, verse 3, despising a person who doesn't share our conviction. That's what he says in verse 3. And we pass judgment. So we despise, we pass judgment on those that don't see it like we do. Now, the second thing to understand about this welcome them as God welcomes them in your family, welcome them not for the purpose of quarreling, is to understand that there's more than one way to be a Pharisee. Now, legalism is tragic. You know, relate to God by keeping the rules, and whoever keeps the rules the best is the best relator to God. That's a tragic way to think about God. We relate to God on the basis of grace. 
But John Newton is right to argue that grace taught my heart to fear. Grace doesn't lead to license and we do whatever we want because we're in grace. Grace leads to holiness because it leads us to Jesus, who what we get in him is grace upon grace. Now he's arguing, do not quarrel. The strong love to put the weak down. The charge is welcome them. Don't quarrel with them. Notice who the troublemakers are. It's not the weak with these soft convictions. I've got to keep the calendar. I can't eat any meat. I'm all vegetables. Those people aren't really disturbing the peace. Who's disturbing the peace is those saying, all right, come on in here. You're welcome into our group. Now, what's wrong with you? Why do you do that? And getting a big argument over a non-essential. One time a guy told me, Eric, you're an inverted Pharisee. I said, what? He said, you're an inverted Pharisee. I said, well, what in the world is an inverted Pharisee? He said, well, you know how Pharisees are legalists? Always looking around to make sure everybody's keeping the rules. You really hate that. But you hate that so much that you're legalistic about looking around for people who uh, are wanting to keep all the rules. And so you're a Pharisee. It's just an inverted Pharisee. And when he finished the editorial, um, I said, you know what? I think that's my life goal. I think that's my calling. And then I laughed and then went away thinking about it. But both ends of that Pharisee stick are wrong. And that's what Paul's getting at. That's what he's getting at here. He's teaching us how to relate. All Phariseeism is bad. Legalistic Pharisees and free Pharisees who poke fun at the legalistic Pharisees. Despising and disgracing brothers and sisters can go both ways. Let's all raise the bar of humility and affection for each other. Well, hence then, secondly, we are to live driven by a conscience captive to Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 4. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I love men and women and boys and girls of conviction. Look at verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again that we might be both, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Watch how Paul shapes our understanding of our response to others in God's family. Two critical charges we must embrace. First, we house slaves answer only to our master before whom we live. Who made us judge of each other? Who made us the one rendering final verdicts? Answer, nobody. Nobody at all. Now, next week, we're going to look at verses 10, 11, and 12, and there is an accounting for how we live. I mean, this may clear out the house for next week, but we're going to get to verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's where we're headed. That's the judge. And before then, we suspend judgment. Notice in verse 4, he calls us house slaves responsive to a master. Our master is Jesus. 
and we're just two-bit house slaves. And it's our thrill for that few minutes that we get to live between our birth and our death and having come to know Jesus Christ because of his grace, our thrill is to be a house slave for him. The person to whom the house slave was accountable wasn't any other slave in the house. It was singularly to the house head. In verse 4, that house head is called master. The word Lord shows up eight times in verses 4 through 9. Lord, verse 4. In honor of the Lord, verse 6. In honor of the Lord, verse 6. Abstains in honor of the Lord, verse 6. We live to the Lord, verse 8. We are the Lord's, verse 8. That he might be Lord both of the dead and the living, verse 9. There is only one Lord and it is not us. In jest, I heard an influencer in evangelical faith uh, say of another person who is influential in evangelical faith, but you would be left with the impression that they wanted everybody to see all the issues just like they saw the issues, and they made a point to kind of build their ministry around that particular tenor and tone. And the illusion went something like this, well, that's the one before whom we shall stand, before whom we shall have to stand before the one. And it was in jest saying that that person felt like you had to pass his judgment before you'd ever go on to pass the judgment of our Lord. That's what Paul's getting at. And he's urging us not to behave in such ways to each other. Now, what about this standing and falling? What is he talking about? What's real helpful is to think about the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about judgment. Judgment. And please notice, as he makes very clear, the one who makes a stand in judgment is Jesus Christ, our master. And he will be upheld, verse 4, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He's not going to fall, he's going to stand. Remember the close of the Sermon on the Mount? The wise man builds his house upon the rock. He faces the rainstorm. What's being pictured? It's judgment in the end. But he stands. But the one who built his house on the sand, not building his house upon Jesus Christ, faces the judgment and he falls. Remember what's said of the wicked in Psalm 1-5. The wicked will not what in judgment? They will not stand. They will fall. That's what he's alluding to. So that what props us up in judgment before God is not ourselves. It's our Savior. Our judgment fell on him at the cross so that the gift of his righteousness as we believe could come to us. We've already been judged. We are stewards of life, but our judgment fell on Jesus. We shall stand. Now then, our obedience to Jesus is to be full of honor and thanks. Did you notice what motivated the person 
who wasn't eating meat. They yearned to honor the Lord with their life and to give him thanks. Do you know what motivated the person who ate meat? He wanted to honor the Lord and give thanks with his life. Do you know what motivated the person to particularly judge some days as greater than other days? It was a desire to honor the Lord and to give him thanks. Do you know what motivated the person who couldn't care a lick about what any day was, but wanted every day to be a day of honor to Jesus Christ and a day where he expressed thanks to him? What drove both of them was honor and thanks. I was six years in Lansing, Michigan, around a bunch of auto engineers back before Oldsmobile was buried. And I was working, I was around guys who were on engineering teams and they said, what team are you on? Oh, I'm on the powertrain team. I said, what in the world's a powertrain team? Oh, Eric, that's where all the power is. The engine, the transmission, the drivetrain. That's us. We design that and tweak that and optimize that. When you get and your car goes where the, you're going because that's what the powertrain is driving the car. Well, let me ask you this. What's driving your life? What is the powertrain? In Romans 14, what is described is a yearning in the heart of the follower of Jesus to honor the Lord. And it's all of life. It's not just a part of life. It's not just Sunday. You've got to honor the Lord. No, it's, it's everything. Uh, life, death, that pretty much covers the whole circumference of our experience. And whether it's life or whether it's death, by the way, isn't it interesting that we can die well and honor the Lord with a grateful heart as we die? A few weeks ago, we had the service for Marsha Farrell. A few of you know firsthand that Marcia died well. Uh, she died in full assurance of hope because of Jesus. She died with courage. She died with faith. And she died honoring the Lord. At her service, I was around one who said, you know, Eric, there's more than one way to die. She died well. I think that's what he's getting at here. None of us lives to himself. We've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in our body with a drivetrain driven by, I want to honor the Lord in speech, in conduct, in faith, in life, in purity. I'm giving myself to this. I want to show myself an example of those who believe. I want to have a grateful heart. So it's the drivetrain, according to what is here, is... The honor of the Lord. Whatever we are doing, we are doing it in honor of the Lord. And we are giving thanks to the Lord for the privilege of living a life of honor unto him. Is that us? Some people are bored with life. How can we be bored with this privilege that we are given? That all week long, we will have the opportunity to honor the Lord with our lives and our speech, and our conduct, and to give him thanks through the manner in which we live. What drives us? Money, sex, and power, the trinity of the Western culture that we live in, the power three. What drives us? Sports, entertainment, fulfillment defined on our terms, 
or the honor of Jesus Christ in a grateful heart. Remember back in Romans chapter 1 when he describes the pagan world suppressing the truth and denying the self-evident things clearly seen about God revealed in what he's created? You remember what it said of them? They did not honor him nor give thanks. And what is said 14 chapters later is, the devoted follower of Jesus Christ gets out of bed in the morning on a mission to honor the Lord. The devoted follower of Jesus Christ gets out on a mission to spill out that gratitude in their heart unto this one who loved them and gave himself for them. So who are we at Calvary? How welcoming are we? How charitable are we with each other? Rupertus Meldinius said this, you've heard it. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. It's easier to read, harder to consistently practice. May God give us grace to those ends. Let's pray. Father, how do you want the word of God to address our hearts this morning? What sense on the heart are you wishing to leave this morning from this passage of Scripture? Father, do you want to arrest the attention of those who are using their freedom to their own destruction and call them to deeper levels of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? A holiness without which no man will see God. Do you want to liberate the strong and more mature from the burden of feeling like they have to judge others for what they're doing? Lord, you're really good at being God, and you don't need our help. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The answer to Abraham's rhetorical question from millennia ago is, yes, he certainly will. Oh, Lord, make us a welcoming group that in the middle of the brokenness of this sinful world, the brokenness of our own lives that you're bringing healing to by your grace. Oh God, give us room to grow up together toward the measure, the stature, the fullness of Jesus Christ our Lord. And thank you that what we get in Jesus is grace upon grace. Certainly that which is fitting to bring you honor for all of our days. An honor brought with a heart overflowing with gratitude. I mean, you loved us and gave yourself for us. Thank you. We love you. Hear us sing unto you. Work in our hearts. Spirit of God, do not let us escape what the Spirit wants to say to the church today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. <laughs>